You're listening to Three Makes Baby, a podcast about fertility, family, and genetics. I'm Jana Repnow, a fertility counselor and author of Three Makes Baby. Welcome to the show. Allie is back with Allie with Half of Me podcast. It's been two years since we've talked uh, like this, Allie. I know it's been ages. <laughs> I wouldn't have thought that unless I checked, but I thought it was sooner. I mean, we've talked, we've been in contact, but not on a podcast. So, and then last time you were talking about teaching and how everything was changing, you were really ahead yeah. of the curve and with the technology and the moving to zoom. Right. And that was kind of cool. So I actually listened back to it and to see where we yeah. were back then. Um, and we weren't talking about donor conception because it wasn't on the top of our mind at all. We were dealing with other things. Yeah. That was peak, peak COVID. It was. And I'm so glad yeah. it's there. Cause I think, you, you know, someday we'll look back and, and it'll be interesting to listen to us yeah. and oh, how, sure. what we were doing and thinking. And, um, yeah. but here we are back with like, I guess I feel like, um, it's a, um, grateful that we have returned to a place where we can now talk about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like the higher stuff. (laughs) For those that are listening, going, what the heck is she talking about? If you go back to that (laughs) podcast episode, we were talking about how when the pandemic hit, we just, you couldn't, you could only focus on the basics like survival and safety. And yeah, absolutely. What's cool is I feel really grateful. We can come back to the topic of donor conception, because that means we're back to, we're getting back to normal and think this is past and things are back. And so thankful for that. Um, and so that's what we're going to be talking about today is yeah. revisiting that. And it's going to be great to hear from you again. I know so much time has gone by that you yeah. have a whole new experience to share with us. And I, I can't wait to hear. Yeah. Uh, and I think it just, especially to hear about your journey and your experience with siblings and mm-hmm. something we really haven't talked much about on with people, um, yeah. with donor conceived people and you're down the road a bit further. So mm-hmm. maybe you can share with us, kind of catch us up a bit. If you can remember where we sure. were yeah. and what's happened since. Yeah. So the last time we chatted, I was uh, pregnant. Um, We were in the middle of COVID. So donor conception stuff was pretty far from my mind. Um, And so honestly, uh, my relationship with the half siblings kind of paused during COVID because we were so, we were so overwhelmed by everything else going on in the world. And of course we couldn't do any in-person meetups for a long time. And Um, It's hard to believe, but, you know, back in 2020, Zoom was kind of this new thing for a lot of people. So we didn't really know that we could do Zoom stuff uh, to keep in touch. But, um, you know, over the last two years or or so, uh, my number of siblings that I've that we found and connected with has almost doubled. Uh, So back. Yeah. So So back then at, at about 15. Um, and we're at, I want to say like 27 now, um, that we've located. Yeah. And that's a lot in a short amount of time. Yeah. It was very quick. You know, we, we kind of joked that we go through sibling season and that's, um, right around, you know, black Friday and Christmas, the DNA kits go on sale Mm -hmm. and then six to eight weeks later. So into January and February, we start to get a lot of new matches from people that, um, 
you know, decided, oh, I know I'm donor conceived and might as well wait for this expensive kit to go on sale before I test or people that got it as a Christmas gift, like I did. Mm -hmm. Um, and they test and, and completely by chance are thrown into this world of, oh, wow, I have half sibling matches that I never knew about before. Mm -hmm. So, And it happened a lot during the pandemic too. Yes. Because people were staying home and, and kind of focused on different things. Yeah. For and sure. Yeah. It, yeah. it was amazing to hear people that I talked to begin to say similar things to what you had said in the beginning, you know, when we first connected and to hear those same sentiments shared from other yeah. people that were just going through it. Yeah. Um, and your podcast, I want to mention half of me is so helpful for donor can see people that are just finding out and going through this for the first time. It helps them unravel a lot of confusing feelings, yeah. Of the late discoveries, and um, you just really have helped people to open up uh, about it and be able to give it a voice and come forward and talk as well. So, kudos to that. Kudos to you, your work, and that podcast is really valuable stuff. Well, thanks. It was. I mean, I've said this a million times, but it's still true. Even several years later, almost four years later, that. Um, it was therapy in itself for me to just kind of talk my way through it. And, um, you know, I, I'm not super active on social anymore online, um, in that space, but when I do wander over to the DMS or to my email, that's, you know, I hear from donor conceived people still saying, I just found out. And I'm so glad that I found your podcast because I'm going through the same stuff. And, mm -hmm. and honestly, it's kind of reaffirming to me too, even years down the line that, um, you know, this situation isn't all that unique. Um, mm -hmm. and it's, okay. it's kind of comforting in a way that, um, I know that there is this community of people that have this experience yeah. that feels so isolating in the beginning, mm -hmm. but, it's, you know, there's other people out there that are going through it too. And, and fortunately for me, some of those other people that are going through it are, are my half siblings. Um, and we, yeah. we really, we, we joke about it, but it's true. We kind of trauma bonded mm -hmm. over that. Mm -hmm. And we, we, we talk a lot, my siblings and I too, about what is this connection that we share? Is it DNA is the reason that we've connected solely because of genes. And mm -hmm. I don't really think that's the case. Um, mm -hmm. I think that that's what brought us together, that we have this bizarro um, genetic connection. But I think what's really been responsible for the staying power in some of our relationships is that we, we understand what it's like to be donor conceived. And mm -hmm. there's no one else in my life besides my half siblings that that get that, that know what it feels like when it's Father's Day and we have weird emotions on Father's Day mm -hmm. or that know what it's like to have to explain to our children that they kind of have two grandfathers on my side of the family. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And talking about how do we deal with that? How do we handle those questions? How do we handle those emotions? Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's kind of that shared thing between like, yes, we are genetically related to each other. Mm -hmm. And there's this kind of social understanding that you should be close with people that you're genetically related to, mm -hmm. but it's deeper than that at this mm -hmm. point. It's, it's that we've bonded over this shared experience, even though we haven't known each other for the majority of our lives that we're sense. thrown. Yeah. We're thrown into this and, and we get it. 
Yeah. Um, Cause yeah. you don't and- have the same bond. Well, let me ask, do you have, do you notice then the difference in your relationship with the children that the donor raised? I haven't personally met no, you have, right. Um, some of my half siblings have, there's two, uh, two sons that my donor had, um, with his wife and raised them as a traditional family. Um, mm-hmm. and one's older, one's the oldest of all of us. And one is on the younger end. So mm-hmm. I think that from what I gather, um, their take on the whole situation is different just based on their life experiences and their age. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Yeah. But I, I can't really say that I would connect with them in the same way that I've connected yeah. with my donor conceived siblings because it's different. It is different. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, honestly, yeah. they're not really in touch with any of us. I, one of them I follow okay. on Instagram <laughs> Okay. and uh, yeah. so I know who he is and I know what's going on in his life. And we've talked a couple of times, but it's not the mm-hmm. same. And I honestly don't have the same drive to connect with them other than like okay. sheer curiosity about who they are as people. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Not interested to really have a, a relationship with them. Yeah. I'm really not. Yeah. Um, it's, I'm at the point where I wouldn't turn it away if they reached out to me and, and wanted to connect, that would be, that would be great. And I would be super open to that, but, um, I can already kind of guess that I don't think we would have the same kind of stuff to talk about. True. Yeah. Yeah the topics. Yeah. And that, that relatability and a deep understanding of each other without having to explain. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. So I wonder if the donor conceived, I do wonder what they think of, um, their dad being a donor. I wonder if mm-hmm. that brings up or what that brings up to them. And it, that's just, you know, something I, there she is something I've I know been, she's uh, like, I need help up the stairs. Yeah. <laughs> something I've been curious about is what they think of all this. Um, but I don't know them well enough to really speak on that, but I don't know, maybe someday in the future, I'll be able to sit down with them and be like, so, Hey guys, we're related. This is weird. Life <laughs> is long. You never know. Never know. Yeah. I know. Cool. Well, okay. So that made me think, is there an out of the relationships, one thing that has come up, which I think I remember you talking about this a long time ago, but then someone else brought it up and like, kind of really drove it home for me about this whole emotional sort of process of what you go through each time you yeah. find a new sibling. Yeah. How would you describe that? Yeah. It's, it doesn't get easier. I'll say that. Okay. Um, that's, that's unfortunate. Yeah. It, and it's, it's just going to be a life, a lifelong thing. You know, there's never going to come a point in time where I'm going to be able to confidently say, okay, that's everyone because my donor donated mm-hmm. for seven years and if you conservatively do the math, uh, there's at least a hundred of us, um, likely to be close- conservatively, conservatively. Yeah. Likely to be closer to 200. And does that reason just, just, there's so many reasons, but that one alone, because there's no finite number in your head. So that means you're, you, it's never ending. Yeah. This process of discovery and assimilating new information about, does that make you feel anything about limiting, limiting the number of times or families. A hundred percent. Yeah. It's, it's, you can't even comprehend it. And then when you, and when you sit down and start to think about it, especially because my donor lives about an hour from where I grew up. Um, and most of my siblings are kind of concentrated on the East coast. There's a hundred percent chance that I have met one of my donor siblings without oh, knowing okay. that I was related okay. to them. In fact, um, several of them, we have mutual connections. 
we have mutual friends. Uh, yeah. And one of them uh, worked at a Red Robin that I went to several times before. He could have been okay. my leader. And you didn't, and you wouldn't have. So we, and see, that's, that's so I wouldn't important have to hear. When I was first doing this work, all I heard was, oh, it's so rare for half siblings to meet. It is so extreme, extremely rare. You don't need to worry about that at all. They would say that to parents, you know, doctors and people, and maybe it came from banks. I'm not really sure where it came from, but I would hear that recipient parents would come to me and they would say, oh, but my doctor said that's so rare. Oh, but they told me that's so rare. It's, you know what I'm finding the more I talk to people, they're less, (laughs) I'm realizing it's not that rare. No, I mean, I think when you put it in the context of how many billions of people there are in the world, if you just look at it from that standpoint, like, sure, it's 200 siblings out of a population of billions. Sure. It's rare, but it's not that simple because you narrow it down to a certain age group, right? All of my siblings are between the ages of uh, 21 and 35. So uh-huh. we're all in that age group, right? We're all geographically yeah, nearby. It. Yep. That one. Yeah. Yep. You're, you're the proximity so, and, it, and that yeah. just, that's in, I know people move around, but not, not all that much. If you've got a stable job, I mean, you stay put, you stay in a community and raise your family there. And right. a lot of people, that's when they do, they get a, a stable job and then they have children. So especially if they're spending so much money right. and, you know, doing treatments, then they, they probably have a pretty decent, you know, income and they're staying put. But I think that's yeah. what's so, so unimaginable is that they, no one, that no one that over and over players in the industry did not consider this and didn't, maybe didn't care. No. I don't know. And if they did, and if they did consider it, it's, um, you know, what's, what's better getting, getting the payout of having a successful proven sperm donor that's donating over and over and over again. And you can sell that person Mm -hmm. as a good stud. I don't know how else to put it Um, versus this, you know, yeah, (laughs) bizarre possibility that is so abstract for the recipient parent to consider that maybe someday these, my kid will meet their sibling and not know it. So, you know, it, another funny anecdote from my story is that the, the son of my donor who, uh, lived in the house with my donor growing up and all that is a wrestler. Um, and I have a good friend who's also a wrestler. And when I, when I found my donor's son online, I noticed that my good friend, um, was a mutual connection with him on Facebook. So I reached out to my good friend and I, I grilled him on everything there is to know about um, my donor son and my donor. So I got all this information from a friend of mine Whoa. about someone that I'm genetically related to. Yeah, it's, it's wild. And he knows them really well. They know each other very well. They, you know, wrestlers are a yeah. tight knit group and, and got all the dirty details about my brother from a there friend you of have mine. It. So that's, yeah. I mean, that's they, how you know, banks can say all they want that this is rare, but it's, it's, it's not. not, it's really not. We're so connected now. It's yeah. so easy. Yeah. And there's a lot of different legislation being presented across this, the country and most of it's been, well, all of it's been um, killed. The bills have been killed. Um, there's another one coming up in Colorado next month and uh, next week that will be presented to the legislators there to try to limit the number of families to try to enforce limitation of the use of one single donor and regulate 
the the banks and or fertility clinics, anyone that's uh, that sells gametes. Um, the, at this point, they're kind of one of the biggest oppositions is LGBTQ plus groups are afraid that legislation is going to restrict their access to donor conception and then hurt them and not enable them to enable them to build families, which I totally get. I mean, we have a huge, a lot going on with, you know, the anti-gay and the don't say gay. And it's, it's it's just the the terrible timing for, for that. Um, But I think the message has been for the people that that are trying to get this law through the law passed is that this is actually to protect families, whether you're heterosexual or LGBTQ plus to protect your families and your children from having to go through Ali, what yeah. you have, what you're going to have to go through for the rest of your life yeah. is this, for the rest of is my this life. unknown for the rest of my life. Is my son going to have to wonder if the person he's dating is a, a mm-hmm. cousin of his, uh, it's, and it, it sounds so trite, right? It really does because when, again, like I said, when you consider the sheer number of people in the world, it's like, is that really possible? But, but it is. And that's scary. And I, I mean, I totally under, it is bad timing. I agree with yeah. you. Um, but I, I think that the, the situations are exclusive of one another. And, and, and I, I, I just, I think there's a responsibility too on recipient parents, whether they're um, heterosexual um, with fertility issues, a single mom by choice, um, or part of the LGBTQ, um, you know, group that at the end of the day, there's a responsibility on you as a parent when you're making this decision to consider the plight of your donor conceived child going forward. And one of the responsibilities of recipients is to choose a donor um, who either is self-limited or, you know, if there's some kind of a bank that is limiting them, that that's a really good box to check when you're looking for, for a donor is, is there a limit to how many, how many, um, um, children or siblings your child yeah. might have and that important. And it's not even, you know, the dating thing is one thing, which is scary, but beyond that, it's an emotional yeah. toll. Every yeah. single time I find a new sibling, it's like, it's like a wound is being opened again. And I have a choice to make. Do I reach out to this person who is my half sibling? Do I connect with them? Do I open myself up to them? Um, you know, and the best case scenario is I find a, a good yeah. friend and I find yeah. someone I can relate to, which is possible. Um, but you know, right now out of my pool of 27 siblings, um, there's maybe five that I feel like it has gone successfully. And even within that group of five, it has not been easy for us to get to a place where we're comfortable with one another, where we trust Mm -hmm. each other, where we, we feel like this relationship, uh, the sum of the sum of it is positive, you know, but there's always that reminder that the reason that I know this person is because I'm donor conceived mm-hmm. is because I, I have this experience. That's, that's different. That's yeah. other. Okay. And that's okay. tough. It's, it's yeah. tough. You know, I try to make lemonade out of lemons yeah. here. Um, and, but it, it's not, it's not always good and it's not okay. always easy. Yeah. And then what about 
so you're, you're inviting, it's like these new people that you have to decide, do I invite them in? Do I not? And then if you do yeah. invite them in and you learn about them, you know, you learned about your one half brother through friend, you know, maybe there's things mm-hmm. you you're like, okay, that's really cool about that person. And maybe there's things you're like, whoa, I don't, that's not cool. Yeah. <laughs> like that's not yeah. good. Out of, yeah. And that's, that's happened. That's happened in my sibling group. You know, you connect with someone and I think in the beginning, when you're connecting with a person, your intentions are always, I want to invite this person into my life. Right. And you open yourself up. You become very vulnerable with them. You share with them. This is what learning donor conceived or learning that I'm donor conceived has been like Mm -hmm. for me. And that brings you to a place of vulnerability. You have to talk about, um, how this made you feel the anxiety around it, the depression around it, the, the just, you know, the hours of my life that have been taken up by learning that I'm donor conceived and, you know, in a way you're inviting them also to be vulnerable Mm -hmm. with you. And when you get to a point where you realize, wait a minute, like our personalities aren't going to match or, um, there's something about this person that makes me uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. You then have to decide what your boundary is. Do I set a boundary right away with this person? Um, because I wouldn't invite them into my life otherwise, uh, or do I continue to be vulnerable with them because I feel this need to, because they're my brother or they're my sister. Do I push that boundary? And that's, that's really hard. And that's something that I've struggled with where I meet someone that um, their family values don't match with mine, their morals don't match with mine. And in my normal life, big air quotes, in my normal life, um, I wouldn't choose them to be part of my Mm -hmm. circle. I certainly wouldn't open up to them about these like deep emotions that I have around being donor Mm -hmm. conceived. And yet I feel a pressure to, I feel like I'm supposed to, that I should because we're related. Okay. So it's like navigating that line of what does this mean? What does it mean to be related to somebody, but for them to essentially be a stranger and how do I handle that? Yeah. Yeah. I see why that would be confusing. That's definitely like a bigger, like society thing, Mm -hmm. right? That we all Mm -hmm. feel like we should act a certain way with our family, that we should love our family no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. That we should put up with things from family, but does the same thing come into play when you're talking about a family that you didn't know for 30 yeah, years. And that I, I would say, no, I would say no. Yeah, yeah of course. Definitely no. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Definitely no. Definitely and, no. and I've learned that yeah. and I've learned that, but it's still very, it is easier said than done. Yeah, sure. Sure. You no, know? it is. It's, and then it, yeah, it, it, because you're, it's almost like you're going through this process of assimilation each time. So you yes. meet, meet a new person and you go and you take the, their traits. What are the traits that are like me? What are the traits that are different? What are the traits I like? And then how does that, how does, is that part of my identity or is it not? Right. What do I throw out? What do I keep? It's really right. a, a, a whole process of. It is. And it's, it's continuous. Continuous. And it's exhausting. Yeah. That's tiring. And then what, yeah. you know, statistically speaking, you mentioned if you do the math conservatively, there's a hundred. So let's go into the future and let's think statistically, oh, with a hundred people, you're going to have out of that hundred, you're going to have a wide range of possibilities, just the way genetics are expressed environment, you know, the the interaction of both, you might have one that's in the future that is, you know, possibly even 
on the on the the extremes you've got the bell curve you know most of us fall in the middle but there's always those yes. outliers where you have you know the people that are yes. going to be more extreme and whether that's means yes. they're violent or they're criminals or they're or they're incredibly or they're a priest you know like what you know, yeah. yeah you're going to have oh, those yeah. outliers and those that's just part of our society statistically speaking you'll probably run into one of those in the future you know yes and then yeah. and then it's like how do people deal with that moving forward other donor conceived people knowing that is that, is that part of me or is it not? Right. Yeah. And it's, and it's hard. How do you deal with someone that's a drug addict that, you know, you're related to, you know, we, we know mm-hmm. there's research mm-hmm. on the genetics of addiction and, yeah. you, you know, you have a sibling that's, um, has an alcohol problem or a drug, a drug problem. And you wonder, mm-hmm. is that in me somewhere? I mean, yeah. uh, my donor has a yeah. history of, uh, issues with alcohol. Um, is mm-hmm. that in me? somewhere or it will nurture take over. And will I, I who yeah. knows. And every single time I find a new sibling and something comes up and it has come up several times, I have to sit and wonder and, and reflect on that and, and think what of this information do I need to pass on to my son? You know, mm-hmm. does yeah. it, it's a constant it's a constant question mark in my history. And, and even now that I mm-hmm. am fortunate enough to have more of my medical history, um, you know, my donor is living and, and I have siblings that are in contact with him and can ask him questions. Um, it still becomes a question mark because his children that I don't know could have cancer, could have, um, like you said, a history of violence, a history of drug abuse. And I don't know because I don't know who they are. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's scary. Yeah. You know, but then on the Mm -hmm. flip side, we were just, some of my siblings and I were joking about this the other day. Um, there's definitely a thread of anxiety that runs in our sibling group. Um, probably not unique in the world of 2022 today. Right. I think, (laughs) I think if you say you have no anxiety at all, you're lying, but, um, (laughs) we, a lot of us that have anxiety seem to all respond to the same pharmaceuticals that (laughs) kind of help us. Wow. wow, There's something to be said there. Yeah. You know, there's something to be said that this specific drug, um, helps us and helps any of us. And I just think that's so funny. Like, there are little perks to knowing, Hey, I yeah. have anxiety and, um, I see all of my siblings take Zoloft and that's what works for them. Mm-hmm. So I might suggest that to my doctor. Like, yeah, it's so it's, it's funny how that works. Same for like ADHD. There's so many different medications oh for ADHD yeah. and you have to run the gamut sometimes of yeah. trying the different meds with your kid. You know, there's definite benefits to having this like wide pool of, um, people that I can look to whenever something comes up and, and, Mm -hmm. and try to figure things Mm -hmm. out. But at the end of the day, they're, they're half siblings of mine. Right. So they're as closely related Mm -hmm. to me as an aunt or a grandmother, um, Mm -hmm. or an uncle, Mm -hmm. that's the same genetic distance. Um, Mm -hmm. so there's Mm -hmm. a limit to how much you can really pull from, from True. those relationships. And then you factor in, we've all grown up so differently. We all have such different backgrounds and experiences, but. Have you guys started a spreadsheet? Like some of the other groups? We I think have, one we have. Two. have you? Okay. <laughs> yes. Recently we have the sibling Bible, we call it. Um, okay. And we're constantly adding to it and it's a nice reference. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So yeah, we do wow. have this Google doc. I, that we I, I think that's really helpful because maybe even like that's kind of stuff that we can 
not like the specifics of it, but we can show legislators and say, this is what real people are dealing with right now. They're creating spreadsheets and databases to keep up with things, you know, yeah. them. So one, they know where each other is and then they know where their kids are. Right. And the next generation kind of thing. Right. But then also um, that that's, that's a burden to place oh, on sure. them to have to do this. And why can't we instead have better standards yeah. for gamete use? Yeah. I mean, and- why wasn't Cryobank of New Jersey or wherever the heck I'm from doing this for me? Why weren't they? Why weren't they? They're, I, mean, I can they were tell you that they paid. made billions <laughs> of dollars, yeah. multi-billion dollar industry. Yeah. They were raking it in. And people will say, this is one excuse they use. Well, because if we limit, then we're not going to have as many donors and we're going to have no access and people won't be able to get pregnant. And you know what? There's something called known donation. Yep. And it's, I'm talking to more and more people that have shifted to known donation yeah. and using a, a friend, a family member and learning how to do it. And the more people become educated about these concerns and these issues, yeah. the more people are even willing to donate and say, Hey, I want to help. I want to help. I don't want to see somebody have to go through a hundred, you know, dealing with a hundred siblings in the future. And that's really, really awesome. And you and I both know, and I'm sure most people listening know that one of the biggest, um, reasons that someone searches out a anonymous donor or open ID donor is out of fear. Uh, and it's mm-hmm. out of fear that using a known donor would mean that your child would have to grapple with having two moms, again, big air quotes or two dads. Yeah. Um, or, you know, your own personal fear that that would somehow make you less of a parent if, if you knew exactly who the other genetic or biological parent was, but, mm-hmm. um, I'm pretty sure every single donor conceived person could attest to the fact that it doesn't make you less of a parent. Parent is both a noun and verb and a lot goes into, um, or a lot can be said for the love that you build with your child when you raise them. Mm -hmm. Right. So I just, I just don't, I'm at a point in my life now, especially as a mom, a newer mom, um, I don't, I'm starting to not see the argument for using uh, an anonymous donor, an open ID donor, and especially not using a donor that has the capability to produce multiple children, hundreds of children. Um, it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense for mm-hmm. the life of the donor conceived person that's, that's created as a result of that anymore. Um, so it doesn't No, It's, you know, I think it's, there was an old philosophy of out of sight, out of mind. Oh, yeah. But we don't want out of sight, out of mind. No. We don't want out of mind, I should no. say. We don't want out of mind. Out of mind is repression, denial, yes. secrets. Fear. That's the opposite yes. fear. It's the opposite of what we're trying to do. Yeah. And so anonymous, if you are, and I, th- I think I say this in my book at one point, those people that are using known donation from the start are having to confront and work through those fears earlier. Yes, but it don't think that if you're using anonymous donor that you won't eventually have to face those same fears. Yeah. Cause they will come up yeah. if, you know, when this topic comes up, if it comes to light, right. If your child brings it up, it's likely they could come up and then you're going to have to go through it then. And I deal with parents that are in there that their kids are grown now and they're just now dealing with their grief, grief and fear of that anonymous person that's now in their, in the, their child's life. Yeah. 
So it's not like you're going to avoid this altogether. So it's like, if you have the tools to walk through that fear and those feelings now, then it's so much better. You're better off because you're not, you can be open. Yeah. 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 And it's not comfortable, you know, to work through it. And it's, it's not, (laughs) and it's hard work, but it's, you know, it it has to be done and it will be done either now or later. So yeah, might as well do it now and might as well set your child up for success and set them up in a, in a space that's healthy and and where they're not, you know, 32 years old checking 23 and me every single night before they go to bed, Mm. which is where I'm at. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm. I don't, I don't mm. want to paint a picture that it's all doom and gloom either though. Yeah. Okay. Because yeah. I will mm-hmm. say that with some of my, some of my half siblings, I am at a place now, you know, it's been years and it's taken us a lot of work and co- hard conversations to get here, but I couldn't imagine my life without them. And mm. I'm really, really, really blessed to have them in mm-hmm. my life. Um, mm-hmm. There are people I would pick as friends if they were nearby. I don't think we would have grown as close as fast as we did um, without having this shared genetic connection, you know, and this shared experience mm-hmm. of being donor conceived and walking through that together. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I think that's important for new recipient parents to know too, that don't shy away from the siblings because Okay. It's a blessing mm-hmm. for your kid. It's really, really cool that, mm-hmm. I mean, I have this one half sister who she and I have gotten really close over the years and it's been work for us to get close. There's been ups and downs in our relationship, but um, we're both, we're relatively close in age. I'm a little older than she is, but we have kids the same age and mm-hmm. having her to be able to talk to as a sister in the moments where I have questions as a mom is such a wonderful thing. Oh yeah. It's, it's great. And that's so cool. Yeah. Our plan mm-hmm. is to get our kids now that COVID is fading, hopefully, and the world's returning to normal. We're going to get our kids together this summer. And I can't mm-hmm. wait. I really, yeah, I can't wait. And my goodness, you get to have a sister. Yeah. I have a yeah. Sister. You get, a, yeah. it's like a, like we, so the other day, I think on one podcast, is it a bonus sister? You know, yes. it's like, because it's like, you didn't, grow up with one, but now you have one for the rest of your life that you bond and family that, yeah, that's special. Look, my son looks so much like her son. It's crazy. Oh, it's like genetics in that sense. I know he's really wild. (laughs) I'll have, I'll have to send you a picture after this is over. So (laughs) yeah, please do, but they're they're, there. They look the same. And you know, that's over my years of knowing that I'm donor conceived, I find that like looking like my dad or not looking like my dad is like the furthest thing from what matters. Like it really doesn't matter at all, but it's also really funny when that little trait, that genetic trait does crop up. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, Oh, look at that. I can point to something like this is, we really truly are related in that sense. So yeah. Yeah. And it's cool. That's, that's it's, cool. It's fun to mm-hmm. point to. I mean, we all have the blue eyed trait runs heavy in my donor's wow. line. So there's mm-hmm. just so many blue eyed people and it's, it's neat when you get to, mm-hmm. to point that out. So that is, well, I'm glad you focused on, on that too. Um, because then maybe encourage parents that you to go ahead and connect with those siblings. Yeah. Um, and I know that's a whole, there's a com- complexities to how do you navigate that um, as a parent for your child, kind of what avenue do you take and, yeah. and how do you, what happens if you don't connect with the other family? How do you manage that relationship and still keep it open yeah. for your child? 
I know it's not easy. No, it's <laughs> lots of complexities not. there. It's not, but but it's important. But it's important. And um, if you need help with that, reach out to someone uh, that can maybe help you with those different relationships. And it kind of goes back to what you said too, Allie, where you said, um, you know, I was I'm, you were struggling with, am I obligated like a traditional family to behave like that or or not? And you know, I think that's or you give a lot of people a lot of freedom mm-hmm. to define the relationships as how they work best for you. And maybe they work good for a while, maybe for a couple of years, you're in good relationship with the siblings, parents. Um, And then maybe something happens and you drift apart, or maybe, you know, you get into a a disagreement and you have to part ways. All of that is okay. Yes. Like it, you're doing the best you can. Yeah. And that's all you can we do. We know that happens in traditional families too. Completely. So, yes. 100%. You know, and friendships. Yes. And friendships. So yes. It's just, it's just part, part of, of life. Human experience. Yeah. It's that you make it work where you can and you try your best. And I think that's all that mm-hmm. you can ask of yourself. And that's all I can ask of my parents. And that's all I can ask of my donor relatives. Like we're just trying mm-hmm. to make this work for as, as best as we can. And mm-hmm. it's hard and I mean, it's messy, um, you know, but yeah. I, I personally have found nuggets of real joy in opening myself up um, and also moments of real strength where I've been like, you know, I have to close myself off to this person. I have to set this boundary yeah. um, okay. and that's growth, you know, that's it. And how do you set that boundary? Cause I yeah. run into people mm-hmm. asking that question of how do I, you know, feeling that sad and guilty about yeah. maybe having to set a boundary, but that it's a healthy thing to do. Yeah. What, how do you- uh, personally, um, I am the least confrontational person. <laughs> um, it's been, that's been a running theme of my life where boundary setting has been traditionally very hard for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have a really wonderful therapist who, uh, mm-hmm. helps me work through that. Um, okay. but you know, what's funny is I've found the most confidence in setting boundaries within my donor conceived, um, circle, because I know that if I don't set those boundaries, it's going to be really detrimental to my own mental health. So there's been times where, I mean, the best example I have is that I've set a boundary with my donor and I just know that that's a that's a line that I don't want to cross. I don't need to know him. I don't want to know him. And that's, that's my boundary. Um, and it's not easy to do because I am curious about him and I, Mm. there is a part of me that wants to get to know him. Um, Mm. and he has expressed to other siblings that he wants to know all of us. So there's a little bit of pressure Mm. there. Like, what do I owe him Mm. in this um, relationship. Do I owe him nothing? Nothing. I know that, but again, it's sometimes <laughs> I know I owe I know. him nothing, but it's sometimes easier said than done. Yeah. Like there's a pressure there. Sure, sure. Um, I get it. Mm-hmm. But you know, if you, if you just move forward with con, like you said this once to me, it's about moving mm-hmm. forward with confidence, mm-hmm. just saying, this is what I need. This is mm-hmm. what I mm-hmm. require in order to be happy and healthy and feel safe. Then I just need to be confident mm-hmm. in that choice. And that's so important and setting, you know, I say, I've said this many times that I wish I could rewind and set an intention for myself earlier on when I found out about Mm -hmm. what do I want out of these relationships? What am I looking for? What, what Mm -hmm. is a hard no for me? 
Um, mm-hmm. but once I've kind of settled with myself about that, about what, what do I want out of these relationships? What do, what am I comfortable with and what am I not? Then it becomes a little bit easier to know mm-hmm. right away. Okay. I like this person. I like the way that this relationship makes me feel. Um, mm-hmm. I have a place in my life for this person. Then I move forward. And if I get those red flags that are, you know, red flags that I would recognize in my, mm-hmm. my out, you know, my real life, my own person. Yeah. Life, with then, friends or potential yeah, friends. Then yeah. it's, then it's a lot easier to say, okay, if I wouldn't accept this from friends or family members that I've known for a long time, then I don't, yeah. I'm not going yeah. to accept it from someone that I'm related to. Great point. So, great point. And yeah. such a great guide for the same, if, for, if you're a parent looking yeah. for siblings and you run across a family and that those red flags come up, or there's just, it's not somebody you would choose to be it, not out of conv- inconvenience, of course, right. but, but truly you're trying and, and this just person isn't right. That's okay to yeah. back away. I mean, it's like totally the simplest good. thing like to think about, right. Is, um, in my personal life, I have a friend who, um, they're raising their kid, um, in a way that's not compatible with my morals. They curse, Mm -hmm. they smoke in front of their kids. It's just not a healthy situation. Right. So am I going to bring my son around them? No, I'm not. And that's Mm -hmm. a very easy boundary for me to set. If I were a recipient parent and I found a sibling of my child and there were red flags, I'm not going to continue to put my son in an unsafe situation just because they're right. You're not going to. Yeah. So, right. I mean, some, yeah, it's the same rules apply there, but I think it does get confusing because they think it's supposed to be a certain way and there is no certain way. No. And I think if you set the intention of, I'm going to keep myself safe and my child safe and do, um, what's right Mm -hmm. for them. Mm-hmm. then there's mm-hmm. your boundary. But if you find yourself setting rules for yourself out of, like you said, convenience or inconvenience, or because you don't want to deal with a feeling, then that's a mm-hmm. different story. If you're afraid. Or even because you're trying to check a box, yes. you know, like, oh, connected with siblings, check that I have to do this because yeah. that's the right thing to do. Right. A lot of people think that they want to do the right thing so bad. Yeah. So they think they have to do that. And, and if it's, if that sibling group is not right. Right. That doesn't mean that's a box you have to check. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, I mean, I've said this before too, you know, it's, there's so much more that goes into being a parent than, than the, just following the big air quotes rules of being a recipient parent, you know, so much Mm -hmm. more that goes into it. And at the end of the day, you Mm -hmm. have to, you have to know what you want out of your family life. And at the same time, balance what's best for your kid. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that means putting yourself in a situation that might feel uncomfortable in the sense that these are scary emotions that you don't necessarily want to deal with. That's true. So yep. there's, there's a balance between, I think, pushing yourself and protecting, mm-hmm. uh, your kids' interests. So, and then for the person, I hear this next, the question would be then, how do I know the difference? How do I know the difference? And I would say, that's a great question. For your therapist. I was just going to say that therapy, <laughs> okay, <good. laughs> therapy because yeah. it, that one's a lot more complicated and that goes back into probably your own family system, yeah. your own, uh, boundaries or, or, you know, boundary needs, skill set, and, uh, your own connection with your feelings yeah. as well. So there's a lot of factors. And I there. like what you said too, about checking a box, because I also think, um, 
it's so much more than that, right? Like it's a, it's going to evolve. My relationship with my half siblings is constantly evolving and my take on it is constantly evolving too. And what's important for me today might not be important to me in five years. Um, so you know, it's not something that you just check that box. Like, okay, my kid met their donor half sibling all is well. It's constant. Mm-hmm. We've talked to you and I have talked a lot about the narrative and who owns that story. And that's just part of it. And as a recipient parent, you start off owning that narrative and it eventually passes on to your kid. And maybe your kid's going to grow up and not want a relationship with their siblings. And that's okay. That's okay. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's in flux all the time. And yeah. as human beings, we hate change and we hate that concept, but it's, that's what happens. Yeah you know? Yeah. So just, it's so true. The evolution and know that the evolution's happening all the time. And, mm-hmm. you know, and I hear parents saying, oh my gosh, now, you know, all of this is so daunting and overwhelming. And, and maybe I just shouldn't even do this because it's so, it seems so hard and it, and it is overwhelming. I would yeah. say this is incredibly overwhelming, but I also would say that, that, that's kind of the point is to try to show you that you, as a parent, you don't want to wait and lay all this at your child's feet to deal with at a later age and say, sorry, you're on your own. I don't know anything about this part. Yeah. Good luck. I can attest (laughs) to that. That's what happened to me. And when I was 29 years old, all of a sudden I had to sort through all of this myself and I mean, it's, it's easy for me to say my parents didn't know any better. That is part of it. It's also, they're doing exactly what you're describing, which is they just waited and put it off because it was uncomfortable. And my parents would be, especially my mom would be the first to admit that now that it just never felt like the right time. They never felt comfortable to disclose to me. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's, it's a burden and that burden has to be dealt with by someone. So why not deal with it with your kid? Why not figure it out together? And of course, when your child is young, you're dealing with the bulk of the work, but as they grow, they can tackle some of that stuff with you. And kids as young as five and six can tell you if they want to play with their donor half sibling or not, they can tell Mm -hmm. you that and they start to guide that conversation. So, and start to guide that relationship. So, I mean- and they're doing, if you do the work ahead of yeah. them, it's like, I always get this imagery when I'm, and this might be the worst imagery. I don't know why I thought of, okay, for those of you older out there, <laughs> thought of the video game, Dig Dug, Yes, where you're like, I was the best video game ever. I love Dig Dug. So, but you know, you're digging out those tunnels, right? Yeah. Well, as a parent, if you're doing this work now, yeah. it's, I know it's hard. I know it's overwhelming. I know you're going through a lot. It's, but remember, you don't have to take it all. You're not going to dig the entire tunnel system tomorrow you're going to dig it out bit by bit. You're going to start paving this path. So your child can walk easier behind you. And rather than leaving it all the work for your child to do, it's our job as parents to do that work for them. And what an honor that you get to do that for your kid too. Mm -hmm. What a cool thing that you can foresee a trouble. Where else in life can you do that? Where else can you, true. can you have a tiny newborn, newborn baby in your arm and plan for when they're 13 years old and being bullied? You can't like, yeah. you know what I mean? You, you can't yeah. deal with that you ahead can. of time. You can think about it and maybe come yeah. up with a strategy, but it's like, we know, you know, that a donor conceived person is going to have things that they're going to deal with medical history, 
siblings, mm-hmm. um, whether or not they want genetic to know their donor, genetic differences, not seeing yourself in, in your parent, and genetic mirroring. Yes. Uh, genetic loss. Yeah. It's genetic. Loss. We, we yeah. have stories of, from people like me, from research, we have data mm-hmm. that these are things mm-hmm. that kids go through. So how cool that you get to, as a parent, start to do the work for your kid and relieve a little bit of that burden for them. I mean, mm-hmm. I would love, mm-hmm. I would, I, and I know I get to do that with my son. I know that yeah. I think about that early on. I've done the work myself. I'm in a place where I'm donor conceived and I've been in therapy over it for years now. I've thought about it. I've talked about it mm-hmm. and I'm doing that so that maybe he won't have to do as much. <laughs> yes. Oh my God, Allie, that's so powerful. And I don't, I know you guys can't see us. We're not doing video, but I mean, we both had tears in our yeah. eyes several times during this podcast. Yeah, I literally, I have chills talking about chills it. On my arm. You do. Oh <laughs> my God, you do. Oh my gosh. Well, it's just so touching. You just speak from the heart and I can feel it. And I, 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 I know that's why people love your podcast so much because they can feel your heart and your intelligence and your truth. And I think they feel safe with you too. Yeah. That, you know, you're not, um, shaming them, you know, parents that the one thing that comes up is that feeling of shame. So if we can get past that shame and, and kind of, you know, not bring that up or not trigger that in parents too much, then hopefully they can start to hear and and give them hope. I I appreciate that, Jana. I just, I don't, you know, when I found out three years ago, there wasn't a guidebook. Um, yeah. You have a beautiful book, right? But not necessarily <laughs> dear to right. the person, the donor conceived person. That's right. So, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I was just trying to document the way that I've approached it. And I mean, it's humbling that people still listen. So I appreciate Oh, yeah, they and, do. And I think it's really cool. <laughs> Yeah. It's named as one of the top three podcasts. I've seen it named as one of the top three podcasts to listen to for donor conception. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. So awesome. Um, well, now might be a good time to mention actually. Oh yes, 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 please. Um, yes. So I'm excited to share, uh, Jana, you get the exclusive. I haven't mentioned, <laughs> um, half Yay. of me is going to be, uh, moving on to its next chapter. Um, and you'll be hearing from me and some of my donor half siblings, um, in the coming weeks. So we're very excited about it. I can't share too much because it's in infancy, um, right now, but just look out on the, um, half of me podcast social. So at half of me podcast on Instagram, which is really the number one place to find me, um, and yeah, look out for that space and I'll share information with you. And if you could share it when we're ready to launch, that would be awesome. Okay. Yes, um, absolutely. Yeah, we're moving on to phase two. <laughs> I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah. That makes me so happy. Yeah. I, yeah I'm excited oh. about it. So at half of me podcast yes. is the, where you can find that. Yep. And yeah, we got a nice little teaser there about what's coming. Yeah. So watch that space. So awesome. Well, it's been a pleasure as always. I've definitely missed you the past few years. So. Oh, I know I've missed you too. I feel like we're all coming yeah. back to life. Thanks for listening. If you would like to follow me for more content, you can find me on Instagram at Jana Rupnow LPC and Facebook. And you can also grab a copy of my book, Three Makes Baby, on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and Target.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and rate it and share it with a friend if you like it. Have a great day.